Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. Let's go ahead and let's take our Bibles out and let's go to the book of Joshua as we get back into our study uh, that we've been in for a few weeks. Well, we haven't been in for a few weeks. Let me put it that way. We haven't been in for a few weeks. We were in for a few weeks, and now we're back into it for a few more weeks. And so Joshua chapter 7 with me this morning. We're going to cover actually two chapters uh, in the book, and so buckle up buttercup no here we go we're gonna move I'm joking we're gonna, we'll, we'll get through it and uh, it won't be too long I promise uh, I'll do my very best because uh, after the service I'm excited that we're gonna be uh, going through and uh, finding out our faith promise commitment today and so that'll be an exciting thing for us uh, as a church to find that out and uh, and so we'll, we'll do that at the very end of the service but I want to I want to do uh, I want to go way back in time a little bit today can you help me with that I want you to go back in your mind all the way back to September the 27th, 1988. How many of you remember that day? (laughs) Okay, a few of us, uh, a few of us remember that day. But way back on September the 27th, 1988, it was one of the most impactful and, and I'd say big moments in Canadian sporting history. It was the Summer Olympics in Seoul, Korea, 1988, and 100,000 people had gotten into the main stadium there in Seoul to watch the 100-meter finals. And for us as Canadians, we were excited because this gentleman right here, uh, oh, that's not a gentleman. Here we go go let's keep going all right I don't know Lex it's not working so help me out here he's gonna do my slides today this gentleman right here Ben Johnson was representing Canada there he is there he is kind of looks like Josh a little bit he's kind of buff you know and, <laughs> uh, and uh, this man right here um, was about to race for Canada. Now, he'd won uh, several races throughout the year, and we as a country were poised for him uh, to win gold and bring it home. He was racing against uh, a well-known racer by the name of Carl Lewis, who had won the previous Olympics in 1984 in Los Angeles. He had won the gold medal, and everyone expected that Ben Johnson was going to win the gold medal uh, for Canada. I remember laying on the floor of my living room as a a a little guy. I was five years old at the time. And I remember this because our family was gathered. And I think at that point, we still had a 13 inch TV. And uh, it was down in this little cabinet way on the ground. And we would all lay on the floor, you know, and my dad would tell us, keep your head down so that he could see it. I mean, 13 inches. Think about it. My iPad is 10 inches. (laughs) Anyway, uh, but a 13 inch TV there. And, uh, and we laid there and I, and I watched as the race went. And uh, there he was, 1984, Ben Johnson, and uh, I forgot there was audio. You can turn the audio off there, Lex. Um, But uh, Ben Johnson went on, and he won the gold medal. And not only did he win the gold medal, uh, but Ben Johnson broke a world record of running the 100 meters in 9.79 seconds. And uh, I remember as a kid, we all jumped up, and we ran around, and we were yelling and screaming. We were all excited because Canada finally won something, you know, in the Olympics, in the Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics is where we 
we shine, but the Summer Olympics, there's a few and far between. Uh, and, and I remember uh, that day, and we are all so excited. We are so proud to be Canadian. Uh, but I also remember how confused I was as a five-year-old when just a few days later the news broke uh, that he had lost his gold medal and, in fact, was banned for life for taking a banned substance. He had tested positive, and his gold medal was taken away from him. It was given to the guy who came in second. And I remember not quite understanding what was going on and asking my dad, like, what happened? We were all so excited. We were all so happy, and he had done this amazing thing. And my dad, uh, being the wise guy that he was, not, not wise crack guy, but you know what I mean, a wise man, uh, explained it to me in the simplest of terms as a five-year-old. And what he said is that he said to me, Ben Johnson cheated. He's a cheater. He cheated, and he did not play by the rules. And so because he did not play by the rules, he had to pay for his dishonesty. And at that moment, I remember this so vividly, even as a five-year-old, because of just how much hype there was and the fact that I didn't have my own personal iPad and Netflix and all that, there was only a few events I got to watch on TV, and this was a big one for us. And I remember how excited I was and then how disappointed I was and how ashamed I was that someone from our country would act in that way. And as a country, and many of you who were there and remember it, and some of you weren't even born yet, but if you remember what happened and when that took place, you'll remember what it was like to have and to be a country that went from victory to defeat, just like that. To go from excited and thankful and happy and proud to be ashamed and discouraged because of this one man's actions. As we pick up the book of Joshua in our study, I want to remind us just very briefly where we left off. And we left off in chapter number six with God doing an amazing work in Israel and them experiencing an incredible victory uh, on their first, uh, uh, their first battle on the other side of the Jordan and their first victory in the land that God had promised to them. Now, if you remember back that many weeks ago, and you can catch up by listening to the podcast if you like, but if you remember a few weeks ago, what an amazing victory that was. As God uh, single-handedly, without any help really from the Israelites at all, uh, allowed the walls to collapse of Jericho, the city overrun, uh, Rahab, the promise fulfilled to Rahab, and uh, Israel on that day received their very first victory. And it was an incredible time of victory because not a single person lost their life. And God received the glory in that whole situation because he was the one who showed himself strong. And as a result, the nation would have been celebrating. They would have been thankful. They would have been like, all right, we're taking this land. God is with us. God is for us. But um, what we're about to discover is that while the victory was happening and while the children of Israel were excited and thankful and and so uh, blessed and giving God the glory for what had happened, there actually was a terrible secret that was going on during that victory. And the secret's about to be let out. And the secret that is about to come out is a devastating secret. And it turned the victory that they experienced in Jericho, it turned into then a defeat. And we begin in verse number one of Joshua chapter seven. It says, and the children of Israel committed a, say that word with me, trespass. The children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the, say that word with me, accursed thing. You can do better than that. Say it with me. Accursed thing. (laughs) And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. See, there was only one thing that God had requested of Israel in this whole situation surrounding the falling of Jericho, and that was this. They were not to take anything for themselves. God made that very, very clear to them. They were to, uh, since it was the very first victory that they experienced in the promised land, this victory of Jericho was completely and totally dedicated and, and uh, um, um, committed to God. 
the only thing that was to happen was that the gold and the silver and the vessels of brass uh, and, uh, and iron, I believe, those uh, vessels were to be set aside. They were to be dedicated to the Lord. They were to be a part of the tabernacle. They were to be set aside. But everything else, everything else in Jericho was to be completely destroyed and completely uh, uh, um, burned up. The city was cursed. God made it very, very clear. He said, this city is to be cursed from now on. No one's to take anything burn and destroy everything, only take the gold and the silver and put it in the tabernacle as set apart for God. This to us is a picture of the first fruits giving to God. How we, when God gives to us, the first thing we should do is to give back to him. And so that's what God dedicated Jericho to be. And so uh, they were to do this, but while there was this victory going on, like I mentioned, there was a secret. And the secret was, is that in one of the soldiers that was a part of the victory and the overrunning of Jericho, while the victory was raging inside uh, his heart, there was another battle that was going on. And the battle that was going on inside his heart was whether or not he would break God's law, whether or not he would pursue his own selfish desires rather than trusting and rather than obeying the clear command of God. And we see there in verse number one, it told us what his name is. His name is Achan. And we see that Achan chose to disobey God's clear command. And it says that he trespassed. Did you notice that? That's why I had you say it. Trespass. That word means uh, to act undercover. It means to treacherously and secretively uh, take action. And that's what we see Achan did. It was a secret thing. And he took of that forbidden treasure of Jericho and the end result in a verse, if you notice it all just happened in one verse, the end result was that God's anger then was kindled. It was uh, set on fire against Israel. Now it's interesting that we're told this at the very beginning of the chapter. You say, well, why does we just have this one verse that basically tells us the end of the story here? It tells us what happened. Well, I believe it's because this one verse sets up for us spiritually what's to take place in the whole rest of the chapter. We're told this at the beginning is so that we can make some spiritual sense of what is to come. Remember, as Christians today, we look at this passage and we're looking at it uh, as a picture to us of the Christian's life and the Christian's journey following after Jesus Christ, our Joshua. And we follow after him, and, and as we follow Jesus Christ, we'll experience the blessings of the promised land. And we've covered some of those in our earlier messages about the book. But I want to remind you uh, about that, because what has taken place in that first verse here sets up the rest of what is taking place. Now, we've got to remember, nobody else knows this is happening. This is a secret situation. No, I mean, nobody knows but Achan and his family, as we find out. Even Joshua doesn't know what's happening. And that's where we come to verse number two, uh, down through verse number three. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. So just to set it up for you, they finished at Jericho. They had followed the Lord. And now they're moving on to the next place, this city called Ai, which is beside beth Aven on the east side of Bethel. And spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. So he sent some men, some spies out to check on this city. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai and make uh, not all the people labor thither, for they are but few. Now, Joshua, he's a good commander. We know that. And like any good commander, uh, he sends out some spies to check out the land and to see this next city. And it's a city called Ai. It's about a day's walk. Uh, there's a few estimates as to how many kilometers away it would be, anywhere from around 10 to 15 uh, kilometers. So somewhere in that range, uh, this city was. It was up on a hill. That's why it always says they go up to Ai. And uh, it was in a, a real prominent location. But he sent these spies, and these spies come back with the news. And the news that they come back with is like, hey, Joshua, uh, we got this in the bag. <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal. 
And so they told him, like, you only have to say, and notice the white variance, two or 3,000. <laughs> it's a pretty big variance. Two or 3,000, you know, whatever you feel like. Send a few guys up there, up there and they'll make short work uh, of this whole situation. They'll be handle, handle the city. Now, uh, that was maybe wise advice on their behalf. The fact they went, he obviously would have sent his trusted people. But there's something I want you to notice out of, out of this whole situation that we don't see. You ever, you ever read something and you're like, you notice that something is missing? Here's what I see missing in this whole passage right here. Prayer. <laughs> Asking God what to do. Nothing like that. You notice that? Joshua says, all right, let's keep moving. Here we go. Go check it out. They come back. This is what I think we should do. Okay, let's move forward. But they did not ask God about what his will was for the decision. And so they make a move. They make a decision, how many men they're going to send, how they're going to go about it, and they make this decision without even consulting God. And I got to tell you, church, that's a very dangerous place for us to be as Christians. It's a danger that we often find ourselves in, though. I, I find myself in this place a lot, where uh, uh, we, we, we put ourselves in a position of self-confidence. And I believe Joshua and I believe these spies, in fact, were self or were overconfident after all, you got to remember, Jericho was a much bigger city, right? Jericho, I mean, had double walls. It was a big place. So for them, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. We're going to be able to take care of it. But the fact was is that they never consulted God about what they should do. And so the result then is maybe a little bit more expected as we continue reading in verse number four. It says, and there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men. So Joshua's like, all right, we'll do three just to make sure, you know, we'll do 3,000 men. And they, look at this though, the 3,000 that they sent they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and six men. For they chased them down, uh, chased them from before the gate, even unto a Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people, what's that word? Melted and became as water. So not only did they not take the city as these spies guaranteed to them, but tragically, 36 of their men were killed in what you would call a debacle of a battle. <laughs> it did not go well. 36 were killed. After just taking the city of Jericho with no loss of life, this, um, this huge fortress, they now lose and 36 men are killed. And we see Israel go from an amazing victory to this loss of life and a complete and total lack of confidence. Notice how it said that their hearts melted. Interestingly enough, that's the exact same phrase that was used in Joshua chapter 2 when Rahab was telling the spies how they all felt about Israel coming. Remember? It says our hearts have melted. They had absolutely no confidence whatsoever. It was completely gone. Now, as Christians today, I think for most of you, you can understand what that's like. You know what it's like to uh, maybe uh, because you're overconfident or because of a past victory, you've made a decision without consulting God and it hasn't turned out as you thought it would turn out. And then you totally lose confidence as a Christian. You ever have that? Okay, both hands up for me. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you totally lose confidence and everything is unexpected. It's not, it's not how you thought it would be. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, while that does happen sometimes, there is an answer to that feeling. There is an answer uh, to that lack of confidence that comes. And it's very, very simple. It's point number one. And is this, we must continually seek the Lord. This is what we can learn from this passage, church. We need to continually, that's the key word, underline it there in your notes. We must continually seek after the Lord. Man, what a tragedy it is when Christians so quickly forget our desperate need of God in every situation that we face. And, and in a moment, 
In, in, a, in a short time, we quickly forget that we need God and we're so prone uh, to returning to that self-sufficient state. You ever find yourself in that place where you're making decisions and you're moving forward and you're assuming it's the right move only to realize once it's too late that, okay, maybe I should have checked with God. Maybe I should have reached out for some godly counsel. Because when we do it on our own strength and we do it on our own confidence, uh, we make mistakes. That's when relationships get damaged and finances get depleted and we then end up with a complete lack of confidence because we did not follow the simple command of God to seek after him. See, the challenges that we're going to see in Israel, I think, could have been totally avoided if they had just asked God, what should we do? If they just asked God, should we move forward? God would have maybe said, no, there's something that needs to be dealt with first. But because they did not seek after God, because they did not seek his counsel, they just went ahead and the, the results were, were tragic, at least, or in the least, for sure. You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he encouraged us, and, and he was talking to them about the idea of not living an anxiety-filled life. He said, don't be anxious for all of these things. And this is how he finished it up in Matthew six thirty three. He told them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, the answer to uh, anxiety, the answer to Uh, wondering uh, what the decision is that we should make and wondering uh, where we should go from here is to simply seek after God and Him first. Listen, church, before you make a life-altering decision, you should ask God about it. You should spend some time in prayer. When you come up against a situation that's unknown, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, you need to turn to God first. Don't rest on your past experiences. And I would encourage you with this. Don't even trust in how God worked in the past in your life. Because what we're going to see all throughout the story of Israel is that God worked in a different way in almost every single situation. And sometimes the temptation is, is like, well, you know, last time I did this, God did this for me. Therefore, if I act in this way now, God's going to do it again. And God says, I don't work that way. (laughs) I don't work that way. He might have something else for you. He might have a completely different instruction and direction for you. And so that's why it's so important that we seek God first in all things. Keep him in front of everything. And it can help you find, uh, it can help you stay away from finding yourself where Joshua is right now. And I want you to see this uh, in verse number six and verse number seven. Notice this here. Uh, In verse number six, it says, and Joshua rent his clothes. Now, that's not like he Ubered out his clothes. That means he tore his clothes. You understand what I, okay. He didn't just, you know, five bucks and you can have these, uh, these pants. No, it's, uh, he, he rent, he tore them. Just want to clear that up. And he fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He stayed there all day long on his face. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. It's a, a way of expressing their sorrow. But notice what Joshua says in verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, he's praying. Wherefore hast thou uh, at all brought this people over Jordan? Like, why did you bring us here? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. Verse 8 says, O Lord, what shall I say? When Israel uh, turneth their back before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? See, because Joshua did not first seek the Lord, and Lex, uh, these are not changing, so I don't have to, uh, for whatever reason, you have to help me out with that. That's the one I want to be on right there. No, back one, back one. There we go. Verse eight and verse number nine. 
Because Joshua did not first seek the Lord, I really believe this is why he found himself on his face before God, crying out to God with 36 families in, uh, in Israel suffering and really the whole nation suffering the loss of these men. He's, he's leading now a, a nation with no confidence at all whatsoever. Their hearts had melted. And Joshua himself is having some serious doubts. Did you notice what he said there? Why would you let this happen? He said, uh, uh, we would have been better off if we just stayed on the other side of Jordan. He said, God, now we are disgraced. He said, our enemies are going to build on this. They're going to come after us. They're going to they're see that we're weak and that we're, we're easily overrun. And they're going to come and they're all going to come together and destroy us. And then he says this to God, God, what's going to happen with your name? What's going to happen to your reputation? Now, I don't know that we can replicate his tone or the way that he's speaking to God, but I think I can definitely see from reading this, he's unloading on God a little bit. In his suffering and in his insecurity, he just turns his frustration on God. Now, th there's a couple things I want you to know. First of all, I want you to know, it's, it's a good thing that he's crying out to God in his frustration. It is. God says, come unto me, all ye that are what? heavy laden and I will give you rest. God wants us to bring our burdens, our heaviness to him. And that's what he's doing. And it's right and totally fine for him to come and say, God, I'm suffering, I'm struggling. And, and you should do the same thing and just pour it out. Be specific, talk to God. What he's doing wrong though is that he's accusing God of this. <laughs> that's the wrong side of it. He, it's right to bring his, his sorrow and it's right to bring his burden, but it's wrong for him to try to blame the whole thing on God. <laughs> Because here's the thing, he's, he's blaming God and he's accusing God, but what he is doing is he's attacking God's goodness, he's attacking God's character, and what is taking place though is that the sin, or sin always blurs our vision and distorts our view of God. I believe he's in a place of, of anger, not righteous anger. He is frustrated, but in the way that he turns it and attacks God and blames God for this, I believe he had some sin, and that sin in his life was blurring his vision and distorting his view of God. You know that that happens to us today, too. Did you ever realize that? That our sin begins to distort our view and our true understanding of God. You know, did, did, did Joshua really believe that God had forsaken them? <laughs> did he really believe that God had just said, all right, that covenant I made with Abraham and with all of those from that time until now, as ah, done, you know. <laughs> Do you see, did he really believe that? I don't think he really believed that. But what is happening here is that his true heart is being revealed to us in this moment of discontent, in this moment of discouragement. And that's how it works often. Our true heart, our true mentality is revealed when things don't go the way that we think they should. Okay, I'm the only one. That's okay, good. It's true, though. It's true. When things don't go our way, when they don't work out how we think they should, we get upset, we get angry, and sometimes the true part of our heart is revealed. And this is what I see here in Joshua, an insecure, unbelieving heart, and this lack of following God, and this whole situation turned into a test that revealed to him and revealed to us today what was going on in the inside. Listen, is your faith the kind of faith that when something doesn't go your way, that your faith just crumbles? Is it, are you the kind of person that the first sign of adversity, the first that you're like, God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you know, I'm such a good person. <laughs> and, you're, and you're treating me like, we've all been in places like that. But it's, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity and insecurity and, an, and a misunderstanding of who God is when our first response in adversity or difficulty is, this is all your fault. 
and pointing that out to God. Joshua, I want you to see, Joshua is really, really struggling here. He's having a very difficult time with this. And so God steps in and God begins to explain some things to him. We see in verse number 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. (laughs) Get up, man. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? And then he tells him what's going on. He says, you need to get up. Okay, let's dust yourself off. Verse number 11, here's the truth. Israel hath sinned. Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and and dissembled also. They have put it even among their own stuff. Verse number 12. He says, therefore, the children of Israel should not stand before their enemies or could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. And then he says this, neither will I be with you anymore. And if it ended right there, that would be rough. (laughs) Except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Then verse 13, a familiar passage or a familiar phrase, he says, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus said the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. God's response here is actually a rebuke to Joshua and he corrects Joshua and he, and he tells him, listen, the issue is not me. The issue is, is that there's sin in the camp. There is sin in the nation. And that sin has brought great damage to the nation and such big damage that, yes, there are those that lost their lives, but he also said, I'm not going to be with you until this thing is taken care of. I will not walk with you forward into battle unless this sin uh, is completely taken care of. And so the Lord here says to Joshua and he explains it to him, but what I want you to notice is that God is telling Joshua his divine view of the whole situation. He's, he's explaining to them that, listen, the thing that has happened in Israel is sin. Now, sin means to miss the mark. It came short of God's expectation as well. You notice how he said in verse 11 that it is a transgression. A transgression means to cross over, meaning they crossed over the line that God had set for them. He had said, this is what I need you to do. And they had kicked dirt on it and jumped right over the line that God had laid out there for him. And the the result is, is that the tribes could never claim their inheritance as long as this one man's sin regarding this, this treasure here. And what he's trying to say, God is saying, is that everything up until this point would be to no avail, and they could not go forward in victory unless this issue was taken care of. Church, I gotta tell you, the sin that you harbor in your life, the sin that you hold on to in your life will keep you from experiencing the promises and the blessings from God. Israel is at a stopping point. God says, I will not go with you any longer. You know what that tells me? They're not gonna win any more victories. They're not gonna see, uh, see any more land taken. And for us today as believers, we have to get this in our hearts and in our minds that listen, if we are harboring sin and we're holding it, you will miss out on promises and blessings from God. You will. You will. Even though you live in a blessed nation and a a blessed city, you will miss out on God's perfect and total will for your life if you continue to harbor. It will keep you from experiences His promises for us. David clarified this part of God's character in Psalm 66, verse number 18, where it tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We've used that verse before many times. Iniquity is sin, transgressions against God. He even says that not only does it affect your future, but it'll affect your prayers. 
the, the way that we communicate with God. And so God comes to Joshua and he says, there's sin in Israel. And since they are considered one people to him, that sin uh, by that one person affected the entire body. And I'd say this is a local church. We understand that concept, don't we? We are, are a part of the body and we all uh, participate in that. And so uh, all the parts of the body need to be healthy in order for it to function as God desires it uh, to be. And so the sin had an effect on the entire nation. And because God is holy and because God is just, point number two today, we see that there are consequences for sin. You say, we're going to talk about sin and we're going to talk about consequences for sin. Yeah, it's in the book. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> it's important for us to be reminded of this, church. Now, Joshua chapter 7, um, I don't have it here on the screen. I'll just sort of paraphrase for you what happens in verse number 14 through verse number 18. Uh, but what happens here is that God gives a divine process for how to narrow, the, narrow it down to who the sinner was, to draw the net. I always wonder what was going through Achan's mind while this was happening. God says, I want you to narrow it down. And so God narrows it down to the tribe. It's someone from the tribe of Judah. And all the other tribes went, <laughs> And then he says he narrowed it down to the family, or the, the, the family. And all the other families said, oh. And then they narrowed it down to the household. And all the aunts and uncles said, ooh. <laughs> Put yourself in that position, though, as a divine God narrows the focus from two million people down to the very one. Think about that. The net is being drawn. And it narrows it down to Achan. And his family is included in this. And so we must understand, based off of Levitical law that stated that an innocent family could not pay for the sins of another family member. The fact that we're about to see happen here, the consequences to the whole family, we would understand that they all knew what was going on. The entire family, the entire family that lived there, they knew what was happening. And then we come to verse number 19 where Joshua confronts him. Look at this. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son. He approaches him like a father to a son who sinned and, and erred. That shows us the love that he had for him. And he came to him and he said, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus and thus have I done. Reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 14 where it tells us, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God knows. God knows. And so Joshua confronts him and we see Achan explain the process. And I want you to notice the tone of Achan to me is not a tone of repentance. I don't even sense a tone of remorse. He just says, yeah, I did it. This is what I did. Look at verse number 21. Some really, really powerful stuff in verse 21. He says, when I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you say four words, okay, with me. And I want, you to, I want you to notice this or underline them in your Bible or write them down. When I saw, say it, saw among the, okay, you're doing great. Let's start again, ready? When I saw among the, a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. 
And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Man, we learn a lot about the heart of man, (laughs) the heart of mankind just in this one verse. And we see the progression of sin that takes place in all of us. And I don't want you to miss out on this. Notice here, first of all, he misidentified it as spoil. Did you see that? He said it was the spoil. Now that is a misidentification by Achan because God had said it was cursed, right? God said either it's blessed, devoted, the gold and the silver for the temple, or it is cursed. It was not identified as spoil. Now spoil would be what would happen when, you, when a, a, a place would be overrun and you would take it, the soldiers would take it home, it'd be part of their payment for fighting or whatever it may be. And he misidentified what was cursed and what was devoted as spoil. Both of those are in there. The, the, the garment, which was not, would have been an accursed thing. But then there's the gold that should have been going to the temple. So he misidentifies it as spoil, first of all. That was the wrong thing. He identified it as something that he could take that was for him. And then he saw it. I mean, he, well, he says he saw it, so he looked at it. And I don't think that was just like, oh, man, look at all this stuff. He admired it. He, I mean, the fact that he took clothing meant he admired it. You know, you don't just walk into a store and just grab anything off a, off a rack, right? I mean, you, you look for the things that speak to you. This sweater spoke to me, you know, and, and that's how you make your decision. These shoes just, whoa, right. I mean, this is what it is. And uh, there's why certain of you only collect certain kinds of shoes because they speak to you. And, uh, and, and you know what it's like to go and to see something and to admire it. And my, the, the, the idea that I get is that while they were, you know, burning stuff and clean, he kept maybe walking by that little stash that he found. <laughs> oh, I'll take it from here, guys. I'll, uh, I'll make sure that nobody's in here, right? And he kept going back and he kept looking at it and he admired it. And then he coveted it, meaning he wasn't content. He wasn't content with God's law. He wasn't content with God's command. And then he took it. He broke the command of God. You know, like Aiken, we often find ourselves in this position where we misidentify the world's pleasures as something for us. We misidentify something out there in the world, whether it's uh, immorality or whether it's a, a, an idea of how a life or the world should be or whether it's a financial aspect. And we misidentify it as something that we should give our lives to and something that we should pursue after. And we begin to look at it and we, and we, we begin to uh, admire it and, and, and we develop a wrong uh, thought process where we look at the things of this world and we look at sin and we covet it and we find ourselves doing things and taking things that never should be in the life of a Christian because we allow this process to happen. It begins with that misidentification thinking that as a child of God I can involve myself in this kind of a lifestyle or as a child of God I can involve myself with these kind of pursuits even though it's clearly against the word of God but yet we misidentify it as and God had maybe said this is a curse or this is something that's devoted. And we could go into so many different areas of life that I think you guys understand, though, what I'm trying to get across here. From Eve in the garden, that process has continually played itself out in the lives of humanity, and it is a struggle to overcome. That's why John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15 and 16, he told us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is talking about an identity or the way that we focus. Uh, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It is opposing to the Father. It is against the things of God. And the world passeth away. And he just throws that in there, right? The world's going to be gone. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, the question that we all must face as believers is are we prepared to let God be God at this time? precise moment in time in my life 
am I okay with God being God and being who he is right now? For, a- uh, for Achan, the answer was no. Because to him, the, the Babylonian robe and the silver and the gold mattered more to him than the word of God and the glory of God. It mattered more to him than what God had so clearly said to the nation of Israel. I don't think that God whispered it into Joshua's ear and he never told anyone, hey, don't touch anything. This, I believe this was clearly uh, told before they ever moved forward. They knew what was a curse. They knew what was to be devoted to God. And he knew what it was. And he chose rather than say, you know what? I trust God. I trust that he has something for us. I trust that maybe in a couple days we're going to take another city and we're going to be able to take the spoil. He did not trust God. He did not want God to be who he was at that moment. And he said, I'm just going to do what I want to do because this is what I, I, I want to see happen. They were objects of his desire. They, they were idols of his heart, this personal security and wealth. Uh, those are the things that he went for. And so we understand maybe that was something that he desired. And so he took those things and he buried them in his tent, as he told us. I wonder, church, what idol shrines would guide God find buried deep within us? Spend some time reflecting on that this week. He took the things that he thought were important to him, the things that he was willing to disregard God over, and he took them and he hid them in his tent, and that's often how we live the Christian life. The things that we think we need, the sins that we want to be a part of, the things that we want, we take those and we hide them away in our tent, in the tent of our heart. And so many Christians today, like Achan, we put our personal happiness above obedience to Christ. And we make decisions that deliberately take us outside of God's protective and God's perfect will for our lives by our own worldly desires. And what is so sad is that we often choose anything of this world over obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's a pattern that we fall into. And what it comes back to for me is it always comes back to, do you trust God or do you not trust God? Achan did not trust God for this area of finances. You could, you could definitely apply it in that way. Now, what we know, interestingly enough, later on we'll find out that he was actually a wealthy man. He had a lot of things. So for him, it was about greed. It wasn't that he needed it. It was about greed. And, and, and we often find ourselves in that same trap. We have, we, we have what God has given to us. We're blessed. We're, uh, we are, uh, you know, I don't know that any of you missed any meals this week or, or struggled in, in, in financial areas, but yet we are constantly wanting more, desiring more, and we, we're trying to build these things. But we fall into this pattern where we just simply don't trust God. Now, we're going to continue down in the passage here, and, and, and I want to remind you the point, uh, point number two is that there are consequences, and we would not give this passage justice if we did not cover what was to come and these consequences against this, or uh, consequences about this sin against God. So let's look at verse number 22 through 23. We'll actually read down through the end of the chapter. But verse 22 says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out in the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, And the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them under the valley of Achor. Verse 25. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? He's speaking here on behalf of the nation. The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. 
So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. See, because Achan and his family refused to live for the glory of God and for the good of the nation, they paid a terrible price as the trouble that they brought upon Israel was paid back upon them. And what we're seeing here is the terrible consequences of sin. And what we see here is the process that is necessary often to root out and to remove sin. The heap of stones that was placed upon them was, not, was there as a memorial to uh, the sin of Achan. Remember, they've been putting up piles of stones to remember other things, haven't they? The crossing of the Jordan River, there's, a, there's a one in the middle of the river, and there's one outside the river to remember what God had done. Well, this is another one that when you walk by with your children and they say, what is the pile of stones all about? Say, this is the result, the consequences of not following in the sin of God. Now to us, the details of this judgment on Achan uh, on a human level seem a bit traumatic, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Ooh, man. Seems very severe. But in a spiritual manner, which is the way that we approach this, the details take root in our heart for me because it is a reminder to us that we must never make God into our image or downplay his holiness. See, often we like to downplay the characteristics of God that we don't like. And we like to elevate the characteristics of God that we do like. And we talk all the time about God as a God of love. God's a God of mercy. God's also a God of holiness and justice. And in fact, I won't take the time to do it today, but I can lay out a great case for how those two are, those, those are mutually beneficial. They're required in order for God's love and for God's mercy to be explained, his holiness and justice. And, and, and we, we can't live that way. We can't be like, and, and some, th- by the way, this is how the world approaches it, right? They might read a passage like this and they'll be like, whoa, whose God is this? <laughs> This doesn't seem to be like the God of Jesus. And, or, you know, this doesn't seem like Jesus and what he said. And listen, God is a God of many different characteristics. And we must understand him in entirety to really understand who he is. And so we cannot lift up his love and mercy and forget or eliminate other characteristics. But I also want to say this. If you are troubled by Achan's punishment and the destruction of everything that he had, I want to remind you about a, another situation that was greatly destructive and it's what our sin, what your sin did to our Savior. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us, Who did no sin? Speaking of Jesus. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Why? That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For us today, as strong as the reminder is of the consequences of our sin, we can only help but be reminded of the glory and the joy of the gospel. Because when you and I consider our own sin, all we can do is look to the cross. All we can do is look to where the sinless son of God was nailed to a Roman cross because of our sin and destruction was brought and death was brought to him because of our sin. And he died in our place as our representative and as our substitute so that we would not have to suffer the same destruction that Achan and his family went through. But instead, we today can live forgiven and restored with our God. See, if our judgment, think about it, church, if our judgment 
the payment for our sin rested upon us, every one of us would be under a pile of stones. Every one of us would deserve the ultimate penalty for our sins. And of course, as scripture tells us, eternal punishment in a place called hell. That is what we deserve. That is what is, 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 is uh, given to us. But I want to notice one last thought this morning, that because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, stoning and ultimate death here on this earth is not, is not ours. But because of the forgiveness of Christ, thirdly, I want you to see that failure is not final. Failure is not final. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were, what's that word? Dead in sins. Even though we are dead in sins, he hath quickened. That means to be made alive. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, the true grace of God that is freely given to all who would turn to him and all who would trust him is greater than your greatest offense against God. His grace is far greater than any sin that you would uh, commit against him. And while God is serious about our sin and we must worship him uh, in awe and reverence, the fact is, is that as we look to the cross and we understand what he did, what we are seeing is God's wrath and God's punishment going on his own son in order to secure you and, and, and my redemption. Think about that. As we look at Achan, we see this story. You've got to understand that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you and I as well. And our sin put him on that cross. Because of that redemption that we have in Christ, we can receive the Holy Spirit of God. That enables us to fight the good fight of faith today. <laughs> and the truth is, is that knowing that truth and understanding that truth and locking it away in your heart, the great thing about it is that Jesus paid the price for our sins so that you don't have to bury up that sin in, the, in your heart any longer. Because of the forgiveness of God that we have through Scripture, the great thing is, is that we can walk free to live for him. That we can choose righteousness for us and for our families. That we can obey his will, that we can follow and, and actually uh, see things happen about, uh, uh, as we follow the great commission and we can bring glory to him through our pursuit of God. See, Joshua chapter 7 is a very sobering passage. It's very, I mean, to, to see the consequences of the sin and to see the effects on the entire camp uh, as well as upon his family, I mean, it's sobering. But if you turn over to Joshua chapter number 8, Joshua chapter 8 is a chapter about God's forgiveness, restoration, and a renewal of the covenant, and then a return to victory for this people. Now, we're not going to read a single verse out of it, because I think you should read it at home. So read Joshua chapter 8, so you kind of uh, get some context to it. But here's the big idea for today, and this is what I want you to get and take home with you today. Chapter 8 that we haven't even read a verse of, <laughs> can be your story today. Can be your story today. Because in chapter 8, what we see is we see Israel returning. We see God telling them, I'm with you again. <laughs> You've got that sin out, I'm with you. We see Joshua saying, God, how do you want us to approach this battle now? We see God giving them clear instruction. We see them taking the city of Ai with no loss of life. And we see, God's, uh, uh, we see God's people gather together and Joshua reading to them a renewal of the covenant. 
and they're back at that place of restoration, that place of, man, we're following, we're following God. And I want to encourage you today, that's where God wants all of us to be, that chapter 8. <laughs> and regardless of right now, if maybe some of you are living in disobedience to God, or maybe right now you have some sin that's buried down deep, some secret sin, and you think that no one is going to know, and you think is never going to affect anyone else, I want to remind you today that God knows. He knows. And if you don't confess it and forsake it, there could be some consequences coming your way. Now, I'm not going to be the guy who then says, well, every bad thing that happens in your life is a result of sin. Okay, we know that's not a biblical truth. But I do know that there's been some judgment in my life because of my sin. And you know what? I know what it is. I know what it is. And if you're spiritually minded, I think you would understand what I'm talking about. There's times where things happen and the Lord speaks to you and says, this is why. This is why. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to go that path though. You don't have to go that path. You don't have to uh, live in that, I guess, I, I mean, holy fear of a righteous God. Because our God said, if you'll come to me and you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive it and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can then return to that place of victory, that place of experiencing God's will and God's perfect plan for you. Now, I know what happens when we preach a message like this. Um, we get discouraged. It's interesting whenever we talk about sin, the devil starts to speak to you in a very unique way. He starts to bring things up. He starts to remind you of how you've been a failure and how you have disqualified and you can't serve the Lord and God will never use you and you might as well just stay in your sin. You might as well just stay. Listen, that is your enemy trying to get a hold of your heart and your mind right now. See, God would want us to believe the opposite of that. God wants us to know that, yes, sin is serious, but sin can be forgiven. And that's the wonderful truth. It is a very serious thing, and we should not walk in sin. Paul said, don't continue in sin, right? Don't keep walking in it. You don't have to, because in Christ, you're free. In Christ, you can, you can resist. And God says, I want you to know that your sin is serious, but it can be forgiven, and you can be restored to a place of usefulness for him. And we should be very thankful for that today. So I want to encourage you from this lesson and from this story here of the life of Achan. I just want to ask you this question. Do you need to get right with God today? Is there something that God has revealed to you that you need to make right with him? Do you have some sin that needs to be confessed? Do you need to get back to that place of blessing with God? Would you confess it to sin? Or confess it back to God. And would you be like Achan? He was very specific, wasn't he? He said, this is exactly what I've done. And I'd encourage you to do that. Don't just say, God, I have sinned. <laughs> and just leave it out there. He's like, yes. <laughs> and be specific. Confess it to God. Get it right with him. And receive his forgiveness for your sins. And I'd also say this, that maybe there's some of you here today who need to accept Christ's ultimate payment for your sins. As we talked about, man, he went to the cross and he died for you. He took that penalty and he offers it to you today as a free gift. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at One City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will.